Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American ideal. Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, it is June the 8th um, evening here. Uh, we're officially into summer, although um, if you're in the Northeast these days, you might not know it because it is a uh, not quite a balmy, like 57 to 63 degrees during the day, um, uh, largely attributable to these crazy wildfires up in Canada that have been sending uh smoke clouds to cover our sun down here but uh how are how are uh how are you doing well i don't think we're officially in the summer yet and i'm not totally sure that the wildfires have anything to do with the temperature but i i think it is worth mentioning how crazy these wildfires have been for us on the east coast i think everyone on the west coast for all our listeners out there have been in all the coverage like that this has been getting in the last week Again, I think all the people on the West Coast are like, well, where has this coverage been for years as California and other states out West have been ravaged by wildfires and all of the effects of them that we on the East Coast are now learning about? Not, it hasn't been super bad up here in Boston, but we have friends and relatives in, in New York City and Washington, D.C. and seeing some of their pictures and the other pictures in the news and hearing from them, it is kind of scary. And it does remind you of how interconnected we all are as like as a planet it's like uh, you know i think we'll get into this a little bit more in a very different context later in the episode but it is one of those things where something happens in it might be in a different country but the planet doesn't really care about arbitrarily drawn lines with countries um, very well very well said it um I think you'll find that actually a lot of this smoke cover does have something to do with our, uh, our current temperature condition. I think I, you know, I studied the climate science a little bit. And when I was <laughs> you on my first, uh, my first master's was over 12 years ago today, but the like ash and particulate matter, I think will reflect some of the sun's rays from getting, uh, from getting down to us. But I think it is a good point in terms of coverage between, you know, what's been going on in California in this most recent um, episode that's obviously been impacting the Northeast pretty significantly. You mentioned New York City, but it's like almost all the way down south of Washington, D.C. now, which is crazy. Um, I was reading that a lot of the that the air quality around here is actually worse than in some of California's like worst forest fires probably something to do with like wind direction and or maybe the types of trees that were burning i'm not entirely sure but i i thought that that was interesting and definitely not something that i had considered um when looking outside it's that it's it's funny that when i when you see the sun in these kinds of hazy conditions it doesn't like the rest of the sky isn't bright it's kind of just like this little orange ball and it reminded me a lot of like when I would visit family in India, that's normally what you see. And so like, you know, yeah. not to take for granted the fact that we typically get to see the blue sky and that's not actually, uh, that's not a given everywhere in the world. Yeah. And it wasn't even a given here in the United States for a lot of years or the first half or three quarters of the 20th century post urbanization and the industrial revolution. That That's why like, the Environmental Protection Agency and like the Clean Air Act, in addition to all of the other acts that they do, came into place. I think what's really interesting about this is, and I, I heard the same or read some of the same antidotes from other immigrants uh, from whether it was India or China or other Southeastern Asian countries that they were like, oh, this kind of feels like home, not necessarily in, in the best way. But it it's a really good point that we have we are very lucky to live we just take it for granted because certainly since we've been alive, we've generally had clean air here, but it's, it's because it's not, it's not an accident, right? It's because of a series of policies that were put in place. But I think what's interesting and a little scarier about 
something like this is that there's nothing that the EPA can really do about something like this. And, and maybe there are, there are other policies that let the national, like the Congress could enact or local legislatures could enact, or even can the uh, Canadian legislature could enact. But some of this stuff is uh, it's, it's a little bit beyond the bounds of policy. Uh, and that's, what's I think a little bit more difficult because normally when you have issues, you like look at your leaders and you like do something to like fix these issues. And it's, there's there's not a whole lot that our legislatures here could do. I understand that people, environmentalists out there might be like, there's actually a whole bunch of policies that we could make from a very big perspective in terms of climate change or forest maintenance that we could do. I understand that. But I'm just saying when like right now you're looking around, there's there's not there's not you just there's nothing to do. It's it's which is uh like a little bit frightening. Hand back out the uh N ninety fives and tell people to go inside, I guess. No, I know. I mean, I guess the benefit is people have a bunch of people with masks lying around that they haven't had to use in a while. Hopefully, right. yeah. Well, before we get into our episode today, I got I I have one question for you because you're always stumping me with your puns. How do you spell <laughs> "samophile"? What what is it? Samophile. Okay. Um, it is. I think it has to do with creatures who like the sand. P-S-A-M-M-O-P-H-I-L-E. That's my guess. Samophile. Wow. You would have just won the Scripps National Spelling Bee. <laughs> really? Is that right? That's it. That's very <laughs> I would not have been able to spell that. I got a I got a minus two on my first Mr. Frank spelling test in the seventh grade. So. <laughs> that's that's a deep cut. Rocks <laughs> glad you graduates up there. That's very good. All right. Um, well, with that, uh, I mean, a you could compete with the spellers of uh, the sixth to eighth grade out there. Um, so you should be very proud. But what are we? Uh, what else we got for the people this week? That's why I really confined my teaching to those grades, Ricky. I, I didn't want to. I didn't know that I trust my abilities to go any higher than that. Uh, so two two major stories that have dominated the news, both political and non political, over the past week. The first major one, which has spanned news cycles or areas. Uh, is the stunning, at least in my opinion, we'll get more into that, uh, merger of the two major golf tours, the PGA Tour and the Live Golf Tour. And so if you wanted to get takes from like the sports perspective, I'm sure you can find places to go for those. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit, but we really want to get, I have so many thoughts. It's, I feel like a little jumbled about it, but I know that you and I, actually really do disagree on on certain things here and our reactions were different. So I'm excited to try to talk through some of those thoughts with you from more of a political global perspective. And then we'll talk about the debt ceiling too, and and thoughts and takeaways from the crisis that never was in some ways. And then at the end, if we have some time, we'll hit on some of the other stories that have been in the news but uh, those are the two major topics that we'll be talking about today excited to get into it with you before we do that a quick reminder everyone out there the podcast is brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen over at cannon hill woodworking they've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in boston since 2018 that's cannon with two ends you can check them out on instagram or visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com ricky a lot of the pga guys that didn't take the money that didn't take the bag from live if they go into a bank this week with a sack full of shredded wood, what might they be asking the bank to do? I don't know. I got nothing. To open a shavings account, of course. That is, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Before we get into the latest developments in the live PGA drama, I think it's useful to go back and look at how this all originated. So for people that aren't aware, the PGA tour is the professional golfers association. It has been the tour here in the United States that has run the weekly events that happen. And they also are their sponsors of one of the majors, the, the, 
the PGA Championship. And they've been the, the dominant force in golf. Definitely here in America, but really worldwide golf for decades now. There were also tours. There was a European tour, which was called the DP World Tour. There's also an Asian tour. But the PGA Tour is where the vast majority of the best players in the world play. At the end of 2021, a new rival tour launched. This rival tour was called the Live Tour. And it's it was led... The, the figurehead for the tour was... Greg Norman, who was a professional golfer from Australia, but the people backing the tour was the Saudi Arabian uh, People's Investment Fund, PIF. And this was controversial. And Ricky, we actually talked about this very briefly in March of 2022. We did an episode called, uh, I think, uh, Sports and Global Politics or Globalism, Sports and Global Politics or something like that, where... In February of 2022, Phil Mickelson, who was the first major American golfer and by far the most famous golfer to jump over to live, was quoted in an interview saying that, hey, these guys are some bad mother effers, essentially, but that they were offering so much money and they were shaking up the game so much that he felt like he, you know, despite his misgivings about what they did, and he references specifically their, the murder that allegedly the Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman sanctioned of the Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi uh, references how they treat women, how uh, Saudi Arabia treats um, homosexuals and, and other others uh, in, in their country and still says, but they have so much money. And that, that comment caused a huge firestorm, which blew over a little bit. And then... Other people started kind of seeing it the same way. And the amounts of money that they were throwing at to some of the best golfers in the world, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars to Brooks Kepka, to Dustin Johnson, to um, Sergio Garcia and Lee Westwood, some of the, the, the most famous golfers from across the world. And they started getting these golfers, Bryson DeChambeau. I guess I could, could keep going with uh, with these golfers. And it caused a real schism where a lot of golfers were taking these huge deals and joining the the live tour and the PGA tour was on its heels. All of a sudden it was losing golf golf. The PGA tour exists because of these really talented golfers and other golfers were being offered this money. Allegedly tire woods was offered something like 750, $800 million to join. Scotty Scheffler was offered huge money. John Rahm. We're talking again hundreds. Hideki Matsuyama, Matsuyama. Like we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. They were declining. The face of that, the kind of pro PGA anti live tour, was Rory McIlroy, and I'm sure we'll talk about him a little bit more. But anyway, you have this big schism in golf, and the commissioner of the PGA, this guy Jay Monahan, was out in front, being like, "We shouldn't. You shouldn't want." the live tour to be involved. We shouldn't want Saudi Arabia. We shouldn't want the people's investment fund to be involved, Paul investment fund to be involved. And he invoked nine 11, nine 11 families saying that like, we know who these people are. He at one point infamously now on an interview with Jim Nance says that like, if you are a member of the PGA tour, you've never had to apologize for being a member of the PGA tour. And so he, he really gets on like the high horse, all high and mighty about kind of good versus evil. PGA Tour, we are the good guys. The Live Tour, the Saudi Arabians, they are the bad guys. And so you have this from a lot of the PGA people, led by Monaghan. Then you have the Live people, many of whom just give these nonsense answers in all of these press conferences. Why'd you join the Live Tour? I wanted to grow the game. And just everyone knows that it's nonsense, right? Like, and obviously, given everything that's happened, we'll get into this. It was always about the money. And so you have just what turned out to be huge hypocrisy on both sides. Again, I'm sure we'll get into this more. Anyway, so this, the rivalry, you know, Liv made huge strides through the end of 22 into 23. They had 48 of the, some of the best professional golfers in the world. There was a real schism in the game. And then on Tuesday, out of nowhere, not only out of nowhere to me, Ricky, but out of nowhere to Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods and Greg Norman and everyone else, Live and PGA merge. And you texted me this Tuesday morning, and I, I said back, I was stunned. <laughs> you said that's why, essentially, that's you said, that's why you're you and I'm me. So, <laughs> Ricky, 
hopefully that's a, a little bit of a background for people that weren't super tuned into this. Uh, but Ricky, why did, why was that your reaction? <laughs> I th- I think I followed up that text with a quote from one of my favorite songs: "Cash rules everything around me." Get the money, y'all. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. And so it was, I mean, to me, it was like, it was only a matter of time. I I think the, what, when I started to learn about the differences in the money that players are making on the PGA tour, obviously this like marquee, like the tour that you want to be on if you're a professional golfer uh, versus the guaranteed contract money in live, there's no, there's no question um, where, where like the the talent would go and i think and i and i think what's really interesting about this story is sort of i don't know if it's a fantasy or a fallacy or whatever it is but like this kind of idea that you grow up as like a young kid that like you know your principles is you know what did mr obel used to tell us like the your reputation that's literally all that you have you know the money and all these other things can mean a lot but like beyond your reputation, like you don't have, like, that's the only thing of value that you possess. And then the older you get, the more people get resigned to, well, you know, he can take care of his family now, or now he's basically taking care of his family, his, his kids, his grandkids, his great grandkids, and he's just set them up for life, right? By this decision. And people buy into that as a rationalization to pretty much do anything for inordinate sums of money. Um, which I don't know how you feel about that. Is that sad? Is that not? To me, I think like we get, I mean, we think about how our like system is designed, right? It's like capitalism at its finest, that your your decision-making should be in your own best interest always first and foremost, right? So that things like principles and morals and stuff, when it comes to money, somehow don't factor into the equation or we don't expect them to. And that's how we expect our system to function. So here's this like, I think this is why you're getting such a visceral reaction from so many people, because in many ways, like people have made decisions for money that we haven't liked. you know, your your favorite baseball player will sign with the Yankees after he's done with his Red Sox contract. And it's like, I can't believe he did that. What a traitor to our city. But then he's making $150 million or $200 million and he probably doesn't deserve it, whatever. That's like, okay, I guess it, I mean, you know, we weren't willing to pay that. So I guess it's fair. I think, I think this idea that people think that there's so, so that there are still like areas where you see people act above money or in a way that's like contrary to their financial best interests is is very rare and even i think that maybe even the sadder thing is like a guy like phil mickelson has made millions of dollars over his career dustin johnson millions of dollars but phil mickelson got a 200 million dollar contract guaranteed to sign over the live tour like he's made a lot of money but 200 million dollars is a different amount of a lot of money and yeah i guess it's just every it it's like that old, you know, saying everyone's got a price and um, clearly so did the PGA. Uh, And that, and like, I think for them, they saw that the writing was a bit on the wall, like Brooks Kepka winning. He obviously went over to the live tour and betters were sort of saying, Oh, these guys don't play to don't play sort of for their, the bread on their table anymore. They don't have the same competitive fire. And then like five of them finished in the top 20, which, you know, top 20 at a PGA championship is a like a very difficult thing to achieve. And all of a sudden they're making all this money on the lift tour and then coming to the, like basically the PGA's marquee events, the, the, the four majors and also doing very well. And it's like, okay, now all of a sudden we're in a little bit more trouble. Um, yeah. The, the hypocrisy is sad. Um, but at the same time, I feel like you see it everywhere. You see it in Congress when people are making deals that they probably, you know, based on their principles and all the things that they'd said before, you wouldn't expect them to make. But 
sometimes the way the wind is blowing and, and they're like, either I get on for the ride or I'm going to be out of here. And, you know, what good is that going to do me? I don't know. Cynical, as always, here I am. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think I was like, I was a little bit, not even a little bit. I was disappointed. I was saddened by how this all went down. And you were just like, told you, <laughs> like, and that is why we're somewhat different in that way. And, but every man has a price. Yeah, that's fair. And I, but I think it's disappointing to think that that's how it is. And this came out of one of the early press conferences where they were asking, they were as, and again, we, I actually want to get into this more, like how how bad, how quote unquote bad is live and the public investment fund in Saudi Arabia in general. So I want to get into that more. But like, let's assume for the sake of argument that they are. We have decided that they're bad. And people were asking the, these golfers, the live golfers at the beginning in these press conferences, like, all right, well, clearly every man has his price, right? Like, you're you're not here to grow the game. That's nonsense. You're here because you're being paid seventy million or one hundred seventy million dollars to, to be here. Which, fine. One, just say that. But two, okay, so do you have any line? And they asked, like, if Vladimir Putin right now said that I'm starting a golf tour, I'm going to pay you $170 million. Are you going to go golf on his golf tour? Right? And all the golfers are, like, super uncomfortable with that kind of question. Like, whoa, whoa, I don't don't, know. That's a hypothetical. I can't really answer that. But that's where, Ricky, it's like, if, if that's true, and we're really just going to, like, if we're really just going to shrug our shoulders as a society, as a capitalist society and say, look, look, everyone should do what's best for them and their family and take the money anywhere you can get it. Like then there's, there's really no morality anymore. Right. Like it's so whether or not you think like where on the spectrum, do you put Saudi Arabia versus Vladimir Putin? I don't know. But what, what if people, and again, this is completely ridiculous hypothetical. What if back in the day, Adolf Hitler is like, Hey, I have this new golf tour. It's an Aryan golf tour, $200 million to come play for it. While every man has his price, you know, like that's where it's, like you got to kind of stand for something at some point, which is why I was rooting for the PGA Tour. I can like they, I, I can't even imagine how Rory McIlroy feels because I feel like a little bit betrayed by Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour. But Rory got up there and like actually stood up where he could have potentially taken hundreds of millions of dollars, and he didn't. And I think that's why a lot of people, whether or not you liked Rory before, were like, "Yeah, this is a guy that's trying to do what's right." Yeah, it's. I think I think that's the 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 real sad part about this whole thing is that the players were sort of led to believe that the PGA Tour was going to like fight the Live Tour, you know, banish the players who went over there and figure out ways to I don't know reinvigorate the the PGA Tour organically, kind of, um, and then led their players to believe that hey, like you the reward for staying with the PGA Tour is that you get to be with the PGA Tour. And and like I think beyond just like having the the morality line, it's like this is your your chance for eternity. Like if you want to be named with the Tiger Woods of the world, if you want to be named with Jack, you know, Jack and Arnold Palmer, like all the greats of golf, they did their damage on the PGA Tour. But the problem for the PGA Tour is that they can't take, you know, they can't take the four majors out of it. And that's what everyone looks at. How many of those majors did you win? And so when once they lost the leverage of like, okay, you know, you could be a you can be a legend, even if you're not going to be as rich as these guys, like you can be something above that that money can't buy, right? You can win these things that money can't buy, but then Kepka comes in and 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 takes it, takes the PGA championship. And I, I think that for me, I, I really got to believe that that's like a, a last straw kind of thing, but for the players being forced to go out there and say like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not taking this dirty money. And now all of a sudden, well, you kind of have to now. Right. And some, I think Rory was trying to make some distinction between, well, I'm not, we're not joining, we're not merging with Liv. Liv is still gross and it's out there. We're just taking, we're just, you know, the PIF is just giving us some money and that's going to be good for golf in the long run. And it's like, dude, come on, what are we doing? I think at some point, like the players kind of need to need to just allow the PGA and the chairman Monaghan to just like get out there and be the scapegoat for all his decisions and then just take the money and quietly move on. Because at this point, 
the hypocrisy is just like absurd. And, and I think at the end of the day, for me, the problem is like, you're asking about where do we draw the line? Well, and, and obviously these things aren't comparable, but in the early 2000s, we were doing, we, you know, we were torturing people in Guantanamo Bay, right? Like we were like, we don't, it's not as if we have this sterling reputation where we have no blood on our hands. And you can, you can certainly argue, well, we don't compare to Saudi Arabia. And like, that's, I think that's fine. But I think this like idea of like this, like almost this like American purity that we have the principles that sort of guide everything that we do. I think that's one that's interesting to think about, right? Because like when the founding fathers like put these things on paper, we had slaves and we were, you know, one of actually the only few kind of westernized type of places that had slaves, right? Like people in France, uh, the Jefferson Lafayette letters, you can like see him being like, you know, this is great. And all you guys have independence. We really like this declaration of independence. A lot of like that stuff kind of jives with like how we're thinking about things. But you have this one issue with, like you know, slavery. Like that's not good. That's not, <laughs> we sh- you should probably like think about how that works with all of your high ideals. And I, and I think that that's, you know, in, in so many ways, racism is this way that we explain slavery, but in some, in some ways it's, to me, it's almost like the other way around, right? Slavery is a, was a huge like monetary boon for the United States. Obviously you're getting labor without paying for it. That's a very easy way to accumulate wealth. Uh, to explain that, to be, to allow yourself to do that, you have to like concoct this, like some race is somehow inferior than another race. That's like how you justify what you're doing. But the the reality is you wouldn't do it if there wasn't some kind of monetary benefit. And it's like this weird thing that just seems to play out so many times. Like we know really what the right things are, but then when we have to think about how they play into our own like financial situation, we justify things differently. And then we also kind of allow other people to justify things differently as well, which is, I know, like you said, it's kind of sad, but it is. I mean, I don't know that it's like, I don't know that it's unique to this time. And I don't know that it's like really unique to, to anything out there. That was a huge, I mean, I went yeah, all right. the place. No, I know. But that I, I prefaced this whole conversation in our opening by being like, my thoughts are really jumbled too. Like I have so many things that I wanted to say, and clearly you do too, which is, we're just, I think we're just trying to work. This is our, like I sometimes say, this is therapy. This is like, we're, we're just kind of working for our own thoughts in this issue. Uh yeah, it it is. Like I said, it is sad and disappointing. Where it just feels like then when what we're just we're just accepting like moral relativism everywhere. And I was I was trying to go through this because I was like disappointed in a lot of the guys that went over to live. And again, they owe me nothing. You know what I mean? Like they don't know anybody anything except like themselves. They don't care that I was disappointed, nor should they. But it's like if you're just going to take money from anywhere, it I think. And then, of course, everyone asks you, well, if you know, you're making $70,000 teaching in Boston right now and someone, if Saudi Arabia offered you $700,000 to go work for them, would you do it? Like, okay, that's like, that's, like, that's a tough question. You know, like, right. And then as soon as it puts back on you, it's like, I don't, I don't know. If, if you were making $7 million a year on the PGA Tour and now you're offered $70 million, like, I could easily sit back and be like, look, you're already making $7 million. What do you, you're already fine. Your family's fine. You don't need any more money. But like, that's really easy for me to say when it's, 10 times your salary. And so, and then Ricky, it gets into like, as you said, like it's not like the United States is super clean. Like in the French open right now, there's been a lot of like Russian and Belarusian players and the Ukrainian players are not shaking their hands. And I'm like, yes, I'm rooting for the Ukrainians, rooting against the Russian and Belarusian players. But well, imagine back in like the 2000s, there weren't any like great Iraqi tennis players, but what if Iraqi players had been like, I'm not shaking the United States players hand. Like, I couldn't have really been critical of that, even though I probably would. You know, it's one of those things. And then Roy McElroy, who who's my guy, he's my hero. He's like the face of the tour out there. He's sponsored by Nike. Nike's not exactly like the cleanest, most ethical company in the world, right? Like they're using slave labor. Everyone knows that they've been exploiting like Chinese slave labor for years, right? Decades. So then it's like, how how good is Rory? And then, Ricky, now I'm going to take it a different direction too, where like, 
I think this might be one area where Republican for Republicans, it's like, let's become more. Why, why does why did the PJ ultimately have to fold? Because they didn't have enough money. Why didn't they have enough money? Because when because Saudi Arabia has like unlimited money, like the public investment fund, they have hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars. Why do they have all that money? Because of oil. So here in the United States, you might be like, again, if you're more conservative, you might be saying that's why we need to be more energy independent and like drill more and pump more oil. And if you're on the left, you're like, this is why we need to be more energy independent and go to more like renewable powers. But then, Ricky, it's like, all right, now, because I don't want Saudi Arabia to have so much money because I don't think I don't like what their government is doing and don't think they should have so much money. Now I'm going to start driving an electric car. Well, like the lithium mines aren't exactly great for the environment either. (laughs) Ricky, Katie said this to me one time. She was like, the more you grow up, the more you realize that everything is bad. And I was like, no, that's not true. Like, I really don't believe that. I'm I'm if people don't know if people don't know me who are listening like I am. Like that, I am like hopeful and optimistic and naive, I guess, in some ways, if you want to be more negative about it. But it's like the more I've been trying to think of all these things the last few days, it is a little demoralizing. Well, all right. So now now I'll, I'll flip the script on you and I'll give you my positive spin. And that is that I have never liked this policy of let's try and isolate the people that we don't like. Let's cut them off from the rest of the world and let's shun them because of what they're doing is bad. I, I think totally. that that allows them to continue doing what's bad in, in a bit of a vacuum, right? Like you talked about, you know, why do they have this much money? Well, Saudi Arabia is about, I think probably is like a 10th of the population in the United States. They also don't spend their wealth fund on wars, foreign wars. They don't have, a military budget that's $700 billion, right? They do have a ton of oil and they have a relatively small population. And so like, I think all these arguments around like, oh, if we just like drilled more oil, we could have a couple hundred billion dollars to spend on golf. Like, I don't know what, I don't know how that's an argument, but well, we'll, we'll leave that part aside. I think the idea that, well, so, so, you know, what did they do? If Aramco is the, the big set, like basically the national uh, company that runs oil in Saudi Arabia, they're lo- looking at the writing on the wall and seeing that people are broadly concerned about climate change. The demand for oil is probably not going to be in, you know, ad infinitum. So what do we do with all this money and how do we set ourselves up for the future? We start investing globally. And I mean, here, <laughs> here's the deal while you may not like what they're doing and while I may not like what they're doing, I think that the more their fate as a like economy gets intertwined with how they operate in the rest of the world over time, the more leverage we have on them. Um, Obviously, I mean, you can argue that like, well, look at Russia, they were selling their gas everywhere and now they've run into some and now obviously they're kind of doing what they're doing. Um, and and I think that's right to an extent, but not quite because they've got a few markets that they can still get money out of. And it really like they they ran the numbers in the way that it was working. The economies weren't intertwined enough to make the pain enough for them not to do what they're doing. But I think you can get it that way. I mean, the European Union was sort of founded on that idea. And I've I've been rambling and I know you want to jump in. So I'm just going to stop. What do you got? What do you got? Well, and I think the flip side of like controlling Saudi Arabia is more like, as you said, the public investment fund is if 1A is to diversify their businesses from oil, 1B is to make themselves more palatable to the West. So it's not just like that we can maybe exert more control over them, although like literally in this case, the PGA will be exerting more control over Saudi Arabian money, but more like they, they're doing this because, and you can call the negative side would be calling it sports washing, right? Of like, don't look over here where we're still like stoning all the gay people and we're not allowing women to go to, to you know, higher education. Let's focus on all of the money we're putting into like your golf events and your soccer teams. And to the to that, they I don't know, Ricky, they they currently Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the all-time great 
soccer players is currently playing in Saudi Arabia. Kareem Benzema, one of the great players right now, just signed with Saudi with the Saudi Arabian team. Angola Conte for my beloved Chelsea lost another guy. He's going to Saudi Arabia. And it's I want to get into the sporting aspect of it too. There's just so many aspects to this. But part of it is like they do in some ways, Mohammed bin Salman, say what you want about him. There's plenty of negative things you can say. But one of the things he has been trying to modernize the country in a bunch of different ways, uh, including baby steps with human rights and maybe particularly with like women um in the last few years and so this this more intertwining of our systems like that's part of the reason why i think globalism is cool is because of like athletics like like the when you see now that the nba for example like four of arguably the top five players are from outside of the united states and we know the nhl is global northern global but then we watched like i said the french open you have players from all over the world golf you have golfers from all over the world and i think that's that's i think that can only be helpful in helping us like better connect with each other and understand each other yeah and i mean and you know building on that like it also draws attention it means that there's more media coverage in saudi arabia and so like some of these things you know the horrible atrocities from the past all of a sudden now they potentially create something that you could lose right you could right if you you know you get the eyes you're eventually going to get sponsorship dollars you're going to get tv spots whatever but you do something that shows up on tv that makes you that you know the world is going to look at and disagree with all of a sudden that could go away and so now you've got well i mean obviously some of that stuff could go underground or just get hidden more i mean we don't want to be totally naive about it but to some degree, like the way that you shine a light on these issues is, is to quite literally like do that and to be involved there and not, and not to sort of observe from afar. And then also kind of make judgments about everything that's going on in Saudi, Saudi Arabia when, I mean, in some ways it's probably one of the more stable countries in the Middle East say what you will about how how they're running it or how they're achieving that stability. But like, you know, there's, there's something, uh, there should be something to be said for that. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's like you said, like this kind of exchange of ideas, cultures, I don't know. It's one of those things where like, you know, what's, we haven't been able, you know, you couldn't say that we affected change in the last 20 years. And if our only solution to, these things is like full on regime change and without which like we can't do anything. I think, I think the progress is just going to be much slower than, than anybody who's like actually interested in the plight of the people that live in these places um, should want. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think um, one of my favorite stories from like the world cup, was that like they were airing it in China and China was seeing like all of the their Chinese people were seeing all of like the people just in the stands. This was still when they had like a zero COVID policy and people were looking around and be like, what? I thought I was I was told by my government that like I couldn't go outside my what what's going on here? And the Chinese government like quickly shut it down. But I think that's to your point of like, oh like it, it I think globalization opens people's eyes more and it maybe it opens our eyes more to Saudi Arabia where we have this negative perception, or many people do at least, of either the country in general or Mohammed bin Salman in particular. And again, I think a lot of that is justified. But there is maybe if, if we learn more about it, we will see that like the progress that they have made under bin Salman in the last five or so years. And conversely, you know, if they're showing all of these great PGA tour events all over the United States and all over the world, maybe there's like a little less like anti-West sentiment. Like they're, they're out now. They're also rooting for Scotty Scheffler and, and Dustin Johnson or Brooks Koepka or Rory or Colin Morikawa, whoever it is. Right. But it just kind of creates this more. And I think, I do think that's really positive. One sticking with the sporting aspect, it is really historic that this is really the first time, like there have been foreign owners of individual teams here in the United States. Although even there aren't even that many of those, unlike say like European soccer, but this is the first time where like a there's a sovereign wealth fund that is essentially bankrolling a major American sports league. It's it's really historic and I don't know how that's all going to go, but I do think it's it's revolutionary really in terms of like the evolution of 
sports here in the United States and in the world. Yeah. And well, I mean, we'll definitely have to see how it plays out a little bit because I think Congress was sort of raised a finger being like, we're not entirely sure we're down for this merger kind of thing. Um, I will, I mean, to get back on the, to circle back on the slightly more negative train, I think really one of the, like if the PGA tour was honest, the biggest problem with the live tour is that they were sort of challenging their, uh, their monopoly over like the highest quality of golf. And I would say, you know, many of the points that the live players were making is that like, this is, you know, the only, like, this is not exactly like the way that we should be doing things. And we have no leverage because the only, we have only one place to play. And so we have to play by their rules and everything else. And I think while I, I shrugged my shoulders at a lot of like what Greg Norman was saying about like shaking up the world of golf, that there, there was potentially something to that. And that this move reconsolidates power like i was thinking a lot about this in relation to like the ncaa in terms of them constantly being like oh we're going to ruin sort of the amateur aspect of college sports by giving these players any money and it's like what amateur aspect we were up to like multi-billion dollar tv deals for a a two-week basketball tournament every year right like that's nothing to even mention the like several hundred like, you know, multi, multi-billion dollar deals for the college football, like the different conferences. And then you're seeing the cons- consolidation between the leagues. You got kids from California flying to the East Coast to play like regular season games. Like there's no amateurism in, in the NCAA, but they really wanted to appeal to that while protecting their profits because they operate as a monopoly. And that that to me is like maybe even the sadder thing is that there are still people willing to like appeal to higher principles when it's clearly not what they are <laughs> like the things that they're concerned about. I shouldn't have ended on a bad note. We were yeah. Like, well, I mean, that's, really... that's the, no, that's the criticism of Jay Monahan, right? It's like you, you chose to invoke the the nine 11 families, right? Like you didn't have to do that. You could have just as easily pointed to a number of other problems you had with the public investment fund in Saudi Arabia, but you, you put on the face, you were the people you brought these people into it and then you essentially just like cast them to the wayside and show that you never really cared about them. And yeah, that, I think that is, don't claim the moral high ground. Like if, if you really felt that way, and I think a lot of players really did and I, and uh, then that's fine. But what he did is disgusting, but I do think another that we won't see the end of this for a number of reasons, but like Donald Trump won to his credit. If he, he had a, like a little, one of his, social truth things on true social back in july of last year i I should pull it up because it was this is where like every once in a while ricky gotta kind of give give the guy credit uh he said i got it he said quote this is from again july 2022 almost a year ago quote all of those golfers that remain loyal to the very disloyal pga tour will pay a big price when the inevitable merger with live comes you'll get nothing but a big thank you from pga officials who are making millions of dollars this year if you don't take the money now you will get nothing after the merger takes place uh, so one exactly right, but he's also been like very much intertwined with the Saudis, like through his through hosting live events, and he, like people have been mad at him before with some of the nine eleven stuff, and he he clearly doesn't care, which because like he doesn't care about any of the things that he says to care about. But I will say that like DeSantis and others, I think, are probably going to draw a little bit of a line here going forward. So I don't think that story will end. I think it'll also be interesting, just like if like this is kind of like a startup in some ways that was kind of like challenging the status quo with the hope of then getting rebought. Like this was, it's been a great week for the internet. If you've been on the internet, all like the gifts and the clips and everything. But one of my favorites was this was um, the Michael Scott paper company, like being bought by Dunder Mifflin, where it's like the hope is to be bought. Like that's kind of what Liv wanted to be. Like that whole point was to get in with the West and get in with the PGA tour. Now they are like, they won. And so it, it'll be interesting to see if, one if like if you were a venture capitalist in golf like why wouldn't you be going to you know rory and tiger and john rom right now and being like yo i'll throw you a couple hundred million dollars just start on my own tour or if like or in tennis or something like that like when you have but so i just think that this 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 story will continue to reverberate because it it's groundbreaking in so many ways yeah 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 definitely i'm uh all right looking I, well, forward to the rest of the saga 
one final thing for you, and I will we'll trivia question. Do you know what Live stands for? Why it's called the Live Tour? No clue. It's Roman numerals for 54 holes because they only played 54 instead of 72. Uh, <laughs> love it. A little, little bit of trivia. You will never have to know that again because the Live Golf Tour will be no more in a few months, but there you go. All right. Well, uh, like we had Warren, we had a lot of thoughts on that. Uh, but it was it was good talking that out. When we come back, we'll we'll talk about the debt ceiling and some other things. We talked about the debt ceiling a little bit in our six in sixty episode that we did a month ago. I wanted to talk about it at that point because I was all concerned because at that point, just a month ago. We had the Republicans saying that they were not going to vote to raise the debt ceiling if they didn't get concessions from the White House. And the White House's position was that we are not going to negotiate on this. And Janet Yellen, Secretary of the Treasury, had said, like, June 5th is the X date when we are, the United States is no longer going to be able to pay its debts. And so if you want it, if you want like a little bit more background on the whole story, that's a good episode. We we went into it, like the creation of the debt ceiling, which happened back during World War One when Congress didn't want to continually have to issue, be consulted and vote on every time that we issued new debt. So they, they created the debt ceiling. It was raised largely without issue dozens of times uh, up until 2011 when Republicans um, fought against the Obama administration. And then this time now they, they had fought against the, the Biden administration, both times Republicans controlled the House. So I was worried about it because I was like, this is, seems like an untenable position. And you, Ricky correctly we're like ah i think it's all overblown it is i think these people just like a little drama and lo and behold last weekend you know five days before the x date president biden signs into law this this new this lifting of the debt ceiling till january 2025 yes just start the countdown to the next debt ceiling deadline right now might as well um, I saw, don't ask me why I was watching Fox News Business, but uh, one of the pundits on there, I thought, used a very apt William Faulkner quote, which is a bunch of sound and fury signifying nothing, which I, I feel, I don't think it's, that was exactly appropriately used, but um, it does, it does feel very applicable just because the the debt ceiling is now a way for Congress in some ways to capture the mainstream news outlets to like focus on them because of this, you got the impending doom and now they can use that to do some grandstanding and to, it's like a, it's a tightrope they have to walk because they don't want to be seen as potentially going to be the ones to take the blame for what would happen if we actually defaulted on our debt. But it's a great opportunity to kind of push things to the deadline, get a little extra airtime, um, and really like not accomplish much. I I think one thing that we may have not talked about is kind of the absurdity of this idea that Congress can spend the money that they sort of know will run up against this cap while not like parallel processing like, hey, we're spending more money we have this debt ceiling, we're going to hit that debt ceiling, like while we spend this money, like let's raise the debt ceiling. And I think Janet Yellen actually even said, hey, Democrats, while you have Congress, like while you have the House and the Senate, we're going to raise the debt ceiling so we don't have to do this. And obviously they did not. And here we were. Um, So I I think, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think that was interesting. One thing I did, I, I have seen get like a little bit more traction recently that was included as like you know the quote unquote compromise although not really in terms there were like no substantial cuts really to spending um but republicans were able to include some of the these like work requirements into um into some of like the welfare programs and i'm curious what you think about this um because i think you know, on its face, like when I just heard that, I was like, that doesn't seem all that bad. Like if, you know, if, if people are going to be getting welfare for long periods of time, 
if there's an opportunity for them to be employed, I think that that seems that seems reasonable to me. Of course, uh, upon reading more, I'm not sure that I still have that same opinion, but I'm curious. What do you think? Yeah, I think on its face, it makes a lot of sense and it's good. It's something good that you can take back to your to your people and be like, look, who's getting all this money? It's these it's these damn people on welfare and, and you know Medicaid and Medicare. And, you know, they're not even Medicaid, really. Um, and we're not even crying to work. Right. This whole perception, even going back to like the welfare queens of you know the late 80s and early 90s. On, bo- on both sides of, of the aisle. But um, this idea that people are just sitting at home collecting checks from the government. And of course, of course, there are people out there doing it. But from my experience, Ricky, the vast majority of people that are receiving benefits under these programs are not actually sitting around just like hoping to collect money from the government. They either are trying to find work or for a number of reasons, whether it's mental health or physical health or family or whatever, like cannot do so. So I totally understand like the desire to have people working and trying to cut down like these people that are scamming the government. And again, they are out there and I get that. We don't want just a bunch of freeloaders here because that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense like morally or economically, but I don't, that is $31 trillion. <laughs> How much money are we really saving by like increasing the work requirements to 50 to 54 year olds now? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I do know it's, it's not like it's right. Right. Uh, and that I, I think that that's interesting because it does like, you know, they're going to hang their hat on. I mean, McCarthy even like brought that up as part of his, like, you know, now those people who are just sitting about not doing anything, now they'll be forced to go get a job. And it's like, well, um, while, yeah, while like intuitively that sounds very reasonable and we should all want that. It's like, there are seemingly so many reasons for why that doesn't happen, but it kind of gets back to like the idea of like, I think we understand sort of the, the principle of the matter in so, in so many ways that like, you know, you shouldn't get something for nothing that like the idea that if, you know, all of your basic needs are met and you don't have to work for them, then all of a sudden your incentive to work goes away. And then the practical reality of how these things work and the fact that most people don't like living on the bare minimum and subsistence living is not, I would say for the vast majority, not the end goal um, I think, yeah, I think that, that it's just, I don't know, this like disconnection between what plays well politically because it intuitively sort of aligns with people's reasoning that like, you know, if you're conservative, the biggest problem is that the government is, they're just trying to redistribute the wealth and that if you're liberal, it's kind of the opposite that you've that the our only solution is to tax the rich and the practical reality of like how we like fix our problems is never being I don't know it's just like it's it's not it feels like it's not being addressed and sometimes it gets back to that like idea that you've talked you know a, a number of times with folks who are involved in local politics that it's like if you want things that impact your life to change, like don't worry so much about the federal, like what's going on at the federal level, like start with the town council, start with the school, whatever the education board and all those types of things. I think it's, I think it's interesting when seeing this kind of stuff, because I think in so many ways, like what, what happens with the debt ceiling is like meaningless to my life, at least today, of course, at some point that number gets to be something that you just can't like wave a wand at, but you would feel like if 31 to whatever, it's going to be up to like 35 or something is not, uh, not enough to, to say, Hey, I don't know if we should be lending this money. anymore. It's like, where could we find a limit? Well, again, and I've been beating that drum for the you know two and a half years that we've been doing this podcast is that we got to rein in spending. And so to one of the points you made 
to start this conversation is that it's just crazy to me that like, this is where anyone, including in this case, Republicans choose to make the stand because this is money that's already been allocated in the budget. Like this isn't actually the place where you should be having these fights. You just have a little leverage here because no one wants to default. The place to have these fights is in the, the spending, like when you're drawing up the budget, that's the real problem. And so just to talk about that for a minute, when we talk about these cuts, Ricky, they're to like discretionary spending, which if you if we break it down, and this is I've been looking into this because I've been like I've been furious about the spending. Again, this is I feel like I've just this is I'm a broken record about this stuff. It doesn't make any sense to me. Seven almost 70% of the federal budget is right now like allocated to essentially mandatory spending. And so that includes Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, which make up close to 50% of the federal budget right now. And all of these are sacred cows on both sides. Like, if you remember the State of the Union, President Biden was like, the Republicans are trying to cut that. And everyone stood up and like yelled at him. <laughs> no, no, we're not, right? And But like, the, the problem with that is, and Biden was all happy with himself. He's like, oh, I got him. I paid them into a corner. And he did actually, it was pretty good politics. But the problem is that when these are sacred cows on both sides, if, if nobody is going to seriously talk about that we need to alter how these programs are funded. And again, I'm talking about social security, Medicare, Medicaid, then like you're talking, you're leaving 50% of the federal budget just out of like, we're, we're just not even touching it. Th- those are ma- huge problems. And then when you say like the, as, as the deficit continues to go up, 10% of the federal budget this year, Ricky, is going towards interest, which is and that number is only going to grow as we continue to get more in debt. And so like that's where I've cautioned against that before again, where it's like, more and more of the tax dollars, the money that we have now, we're going to spend on interest of money that we've already borrowed. We're like, this is a huge problem. And then, so only, Ricky, 30% of our budget is discretionary spending. And as you know, half of that discretionary spending is our military spending, which again is like this sacred cow, particularly for people on the right, but really I would say for the vast majority of people in Congress. So what do you have now? You have 85% of the budget that no one's going to touch. And so we're tinkering with 15% of the budget, and that's where you come out with these small wins, but they don't do anything to solve the problem. So that's, again, this is not the place to have this fight, and no one's going to have this fight because no one wants to make tough decisions. Yeah, I mean, I think at some point we we should, perhaps on this pod, take a closer look at Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. I mean, I think the, the reason that there's such sacred cows is, A, who gets them, people who are like you know, over 50 to 60, whatever retirement age, 62 or 63, whatever it is now, that is the strongest voting constituency still. Um, People who are, you know, 50 plus. So either they're retiring and getting these benefits or they've worked for 20 years and they're expecting these benefits to be there when they retire, right? But I mean, to some degree, you can't even, you can't like fault them. Like I, like if you look at your paycheck, the OASDI, like that's like a, besides the federal income tax, that's like the biggest chunk that comes out of it, right? Seven, another 7% of your income is going to these things so that when you retire, they will be there for you. And yeah, I mean, part of it like goes back to like, what is the purpose of government? Like, this is a different thing than probably a lot of people had thought about. But in the United States, like savings for retirement is basically zero. And so you take that away and all of a sudden you've got to, you're going to have like a lot of homeless old people, which is, which would be a disaster. So, but, but I think to your point, like, it's like how, but how do we rethink this? And I think one of the crazier things is it's like more or less a, not a recent issue, but we did have a, a balanced budget as recently as the 1990s, which is, you know, I mean, makes makes me feel old that it's 30 years ago now, but <clears throat> does not feel that long ago to have been able to rack up $35 trillion in debt in that period of time. Seems crazy. It does seem crazy. Just to wrap this conversation, the debt ceiling shouldn't exist. And uh, that's like, it, it shouldn't be a thing. It's foolish that we came five days away from defaulting on our obligations. It would have thrown this country into disarray. It would have thrown the global economy. It would have been an absolute disaster. 
it, it's hypocritical in my experience. Like I, I get, as I mentioned before, Elizabeth Senator Warren's emails, and now she's like, I, you know, these Republicans are using it, like you said, Ricky. It's like, well, you just had total control of Congress for two years. Why didn't, if you were so concerned about it, why didn't you get rid of it? But, but I, I, I agree with the point. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's just this arbitrary thing which doesn't exist and it doesn't help solve any of the, the root cause. It makes everyone feel good. And you know what? It's not going to get repealed, Ricky, because. When we're racking up so much debt, no one wants to be the one to vote for eliminating the debt ceiling because that's a bad look optically, even though it doesn't actually do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and it's also it's another one of those nice like let, you know, things to pull when you're uh, potentially on the, the short end and you, you don't yeah. have much leverage. It's a like great yep. It's the filibuster, right? Like no one yeah. when you when you're in the majority, you, you hate it. When you're in the minority, you love it. And that's why it never goes anywhere. Yeah. But not quite as intended. Anyways, uh, any other topics that uh, that you want to cover before we, we, we let everyone go? We've really gone slightly off the rails today. <laughs> I'm not surprised with that. I knew with these topics. Uh, there's nothing that I am dying to talk about. I will say there's just been a ton of news this week. Just before we started recording, President Trump announced on True Social that he's been indicted again this time. <laughs> but I'm gay. Like, it's because it's, it's, it's crazy, Ricky. And... and <laughs> Yeah, it's like I don't even have anything to say. That's what's that's what's really I think stunning to me. It's like we have a former president who is now running for president again and is the front runner for a major party's nomination who has now been indicted for the second time and you know within the last few months. And I'm just like, okay, like I, I have nothing really to say about that. The the CNN CEO Chris Lick got fired uh, this week after a tumultuous tenure. Yeah, I guess those are other things that have. Then I guess in the news, if you want to touch on either of those. Yeah, I I feel like this Trump thing um, is definitely un, unprecedented. I feel like, you know, 40, 50 years from now, when we're old and gray, there's going to be some other uh, candidate for president who's just, he's just got one indictment and everyone's going to be like, this is crazy. And we'll be like, ah, but <laughs> when we, when we, <laughs> Not not that long ago, we had a presidential candidate with at least two. Plus, he paid off some prostitute something, and he had all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and it's going to be like, oh, well, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's just how we do things. Um, yeah, I I guess I'm like, yeah, color me unsurprised. But um, it is still, I guess, still crazy when you think about it. Um, the CNN thing is is also um interesting i mean i think you shared with me some thoughts around um just sort of around the person and like the sort of kind of centrist direction that he was trying to take cnn in given that you know some of its ratings losses coupled with some of like fox news's ratings gains in like the last decade i i think that that's kind of interesting to to take note of in sort of conjunction with what we're seeing with like some of these like journalist strikes that are going on. Um, Another major sort of news network sort of was announcing some layoffs and instead you had uh, like many of their journalists are now on strike and that's basically gutting a lot of these like local news organizations and unfortunately, what does that leave people with? It leaves them with like your Fox News, your CNN, your MSNBC, kind of very politically charged news that's very different and almost divorced from the way that most people actually live their lives. Like the news that's happening in their communities is not is now not going to be reported and they're sort of going to be left with. Yeah, I mean, this so-called journalism elsewhere. Well, Ricky, it seems like there's an opening in the market for a podcast that brings together people of different views. <laughs> and so far, it's free. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we appreciate everyone listening, as always. Um, Ricky and I were saying before we started recording, this is the first episode that he, he and I have done together, just the two of us, in a little while, because we've been really fortunate to have a number of great guests in a row, whether uh, it was Winnie Rebel talking about mental health and social media or Maureen and Michaela coming on to talk about the Republican presidential candidates, which again, we've had three more declared this week, Ricky. So I think we're up to 14 right now, many of whom we drafted and talked about. 
and obviously last week when we had Dr. Berth Madras, the, the Harvard um, psychobiologist on to uh, to talk about academic freedom. That's uh, honestly, I thought all of those conversations are worth listening to. The one we did last week, I, in my opinion, is one of the better conversations we've ever had in the podcast. So if you are listening, if you've listened this far to all this, I would say all of those episodes probably had better, more important conversations that I would encourage you to go listen to as well. But we appreciate everyone as always. Definitely. Yeah. If you're, if you're new to the podcast this week and you're sort of, you've followed the roller coaster that's been this particular episode, um, you know, definitely give us a follow on uh, Instagram at a underscore gentlemen's disagreement. Um, and where else can they follow us? No, that's pretty much it. I guess you yeah, but... as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, I'm terrible at this. Anyways, we definitely appreciate you sticking with us this far. And uh, until next time. See you, buddy. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue. Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads Running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away Some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a Case of lion's head and folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American idea, friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. Learn the hard way that to those who would die upon that hill, quiet truth is better. Around. Somewhere along the line, we seem to have forgotten the values sometimes being wrong. Some mornings you away, the morning let your regal bruise, but what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head and folks of different minds. Though we didn't share Opinions we share Loud American ideals Friends made over arguments And an early morning bus I need an early morning bus There's hope behind the bluster Cause the old mainstream may not sell It's full of folks Just like you and me When we have trouble seeing the human for the politics It's time to find a better way to disagree Some days you win Some days you'll leave your ego through But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find And change the lion's head And folks are different mind Because though we did not share Opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz oh, What I wouldn't give for The hope I used to find In a case of lion's head Folks are different minds Because though we did not Share opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz I need an early morning bird.